Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Before I get started today, I want to make sure and say a warm thank you, a sincere thank you to both Mark uh, Frost and Dan Henniger, who filled in for me over the last two weeks. Now, I was here while Dan was preaching. Uh, that was a scheduled time when he was going to be able to share. Uh, and as we put together our teaching plan for the year, I always ask around, is there anyone who's very passionate about a particular text, about a particular day that they want to share? And Dan had circled that one and said, please, may I speak on that text? It's his favorite Jesus story, and I said, absolutely. And I was blessed to be able to sit with my family. Don't usually get to do that on a Sunday. And so that was great. Um, and then last week, as Mark filled in, we, I was part of a group of families of our teens who went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, beautiful Gatlinburg. If you've never been there, it's in the Smoky Mountains, but it's sort of like Branson with less shows, or Niagara Falls with more beef jerky and mini golf. So somewhere in there is Gatlinburg uh, for something called Winterfest, um, and it was wonderful. It's an annual youth conference uh, put on by the Churches of Christ, and we, had, we got to hear some wonderful teachers. We got to sing a lot. We learned all about the book of Acts together. It was a great time, and I am thankful um, that I got to spend some time with many of our teens, and that is always a blessing. I get to see what God is doing in you all and through you all. Uh, and it encourages me. Um, it is a good cure for some of my cynicism. And then I'm also thankful for Dan and Lindsay and the work that they pour into our kids uh, and the work that they do. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Today, though, I get the opportunity to come back to you and preach again, which is pretty great because you pay me to do it. I'm just playing. I, you, I would preach probably for much less. I wouldn't go to the meetings for a dime less. <laughs> you, you pay me to do the meetings. That's fine. We, we, it works out for us most of the time. So it's, it's going to be all right. Now, I, I'm thankful to be able to preach today because I'm really enjoying this face-to-face -face series where we're talking about how one encounter with Jesus changes everything. And, and, and so, uh, as we study today, we're going to get to see a story, and there's actually going to be multiple encounters uh, with Jesus in this story, um, and uh, it comes from Mark chapter 5. It's one of my favorites, but what I love is that it's a story of people who have, number one, deep need, and number two, deep faith. And... In a word, I would say when deep need like that meets the, meets the urge for deep faith like that, we have a moment where folks are desperate. And I don't think desperate is a bad word. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5, and we're going to have a, a little bit of an extended reading 
uh, probably around 21 verses here, but I would ask if you're willing and able to stand for the reading of the Word of God, as is our tradition. We want to recognize the authority of Scripture, the authority of the God of Scripture. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over the, by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, just asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Heavenly Father, Today, help us to see better, not with the eyes of this world, but with the eyes of faith. Help us to see your power on display. Speak, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So the first character we meet in this story is Jairus. 
Jairus is a synagogue leader, well-respected, well-connected. This is a respectable position, a man with standing. And shockingly, the first thing he does in the story is to come and throw himself on the ground at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is a technically untrained, Galilean, itinerant, carpenter-turned-preacher. Wasting no time, though, Jairus, the well-respected man, comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, I need you to come immediately and help my sick daughter. You see, Jairus is not pretending at all. Jairus isn't worried about decorum. Jairus is desperate. His daughter is not just sick. We found out in verse 23, his daughter is dying. Jairus sees Jesus as his one last hope, the slimmest of chances that his daughter might survive. So he gets to Jesus and he begs for him to come immediately to help. Jesus says, okay, they turn and immediately head back to Jairus' home to heal his daughter. And the large crowd decides to go as well. They like watching miracles. We all do. But before he takes too many steps, we meet the second major player in our story, and she is radically different from the first. We know Jairus' name. We never find out this woman's name. This unnamed woman is not someone that is respectable and has standing. This unnamed woman, as a matter of fact, has an ailment that makes her ceremonial unclean. And so she could not be in crowds and present in important places. She has a a chronic medical condition that she's endured the last 12 years. Do I have anyone that can understand that? The bleeding likely refers to a menstrual condition that caused pain and weakness. And the text says, get this, in verse 26, there's this honest verse right here. Things haven't changed as much as we like to pretend they have. She has suffered a great deal, not just from the sickness, but from the care of the doctors who were supposed to be making her better. But she was getting worse. Do I have anyone that can relate to that? I think I do. She is sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And she is desperate. And she's got this plan. Her plan's pretty good. Touch and run, baby. All I got to do is touch his clothes. If I can touch his clothes, I'll hightail it out of there and everything will be good. There doesn't need to be a scene. There doesn't need to be anyone notice me. I'm going to come in late. I'm going to leave early. All I need is just a touch. Here's the deal. It worked. She got there. She touched the clothes. And then she feels better immediately. You read verse 29. She feels it work. But then the unthinkable happens in verse 30 when Jesus decides to stop. And he says, hold on. I just felt some power go out from me 
By the way, it's the first time in the book of Mark that the word power is used. He says, I felt this power go out from me. Who touched me? And the disciples, what do you mean who touched you? There's a crowd. We're just, everyone's touching everyone. We're just marching along here. Like, how, how are you going to ask a question like that? But Jesus won't let it go. He keeps looking for the person who had one encounter with Jesus that has changed everything. And finally, in verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. This is the second time in just a few moments that Jesus has someone falling in front of him onto their knees. All right, confession time. Sometimes I think it would be exhausting to be Jesus. To constantly be receiving the barrage of people always needing something from you. That gets tiring. And yet, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus never sees problems. Jesus sees people. Jesus has a way of being able to look at someone and not, not immediately categorize them into whatever ailment or issue that they've got going on. Instead, he recognizes their dignity and worth as a person, a child of God, and he responds accordingly. Jesus has this way of distinguishing and recognizing people's immediate needs and people's ultimate needs. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 34. Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you, not my coat. Did you catch that? It's not my coat that made you well. It's your faith that has healed you. And get this, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. What if he doesn't just mean physically? What's the kind of healing that faith does? It's not just physical. As a matter of fact, primarily, most of the time, it's not physical. Your faith, he says, has made you well because even though she was desperate... Hold on, preacher. Slow down. I said, even though she was desperate. How about, not even though. Because she was desperate. Because she was desperate, Jesus shows her the dignity that is hers as he meets her deepest needs. That's, and that's a mouthful. That's a sermon right there. Jesus meets her needs while seeing her dignity. He shows her the deep connection between life and faith. In verse 35, though, we see a complicating factor in the story. Because just while we're feeling good that this woman has been healed. 
we find out that life, real life, didn't hit the pause button while that was happening. Amid all of that commotion and conversation, Jairus' daughter died. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? All right, low key. Uh, these friends can go kick rocks. All right, they're not great. I, like, I, me and these guys don't get along. They, they need some empathy training. All right? This, this is not the best way to tell someone, your child has passed, don't bother him anymore. I, I put myself in the story and I was thinking of what it must feel like at that moment, though, to be Jairus. I did everything I could and I did it rightly. I went and got the one person who could help. I found the slimmest hope, and I held on to it tightly, and I got him to say yes, and I was bringing him to my house, and someone else had a need. And here's the deal. When I start to do the measuring and comparing and the math, it makes me mad because here's the deal. She had a legitimate need, but she had been suffering with that for 12 years and she could have made it one more hour. She had a chronic illness, but she could have lived with it. I needed you for something urgent. And now my daughter... Died because you were busy talking with this lady who was. She didn't need you the way I needed you. Jesus, didn't I tell you we needed to hurry? But Jesus won't be hurried. Jesus in verse 36 says, don't be afraid, just believe. God's, maybe I may, uh, let me see if I'm alone in the room. God's timing confounds us, Amen. God's timing doesn't always make sense. I know, I know, we're in church, and this is the, God is good. Yeah, okay, that's us. All right. <clears throat> but just for a minute, it's just us in here. Well, the camera's going, good luck. <laughs> God's timing doesn't always seem right. It can be confounding, and this time it seems like God may have gotten the timing a little wrong. 
But see, Mark has actually been telling, at this point, a series of stories, and we've looked at all of them, in order to display or to show us how Jesus displays God's power and God's value system and the challenges that it makes for us. And so you remember in chapter 4 that there was this storm and the storm was raging, but Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples come to wake him up and they ask him the question, do you even care what's happening? And Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves, and they learn that Jesus has power over the forces of nature. And if that's true, then they have to wrestle with the fact that somehow God's grace and love are compatible with us having to go through some storms. And then right after that, Jesus encounters the demon-possessed man who calls himself Legion. And he's in the cemetery, and Jesus casts the demons out, throws them into the pigs. And, 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 And having ruined this town's economy to save this man, they're upset with him. And the guy says, can I go with you? I don't think they like me much here. And Jesus says, no. You stay here and tell people about what's happened to you. Jesus has power over the forces of evil. And yet, somehow, we find out that God's grace and love are compatible with Jesus asking you to do hard things in hard places. And now, in this story, this third story in a row, we find out that Jesus is asking Jairus to believe that he even has power over the forces of death. Jairus, I need you to know that my grace and my love are compatible with what seem to you to be unconscionable delays. And I'm not telling you that I will not be hurried even though I love you. I'm telling you I will not be hurried because I love you. That I know what I'm doing. And if you try to impose your understanding of schedule and timing on me, you're going to struggle to feel loved by me. And instead of giving into fear, Jesus calls him, don't be afraid, just believe. He calls him into faith in the face of fear. And what if he is telling you and I to do the same thing right now? Don't be afraid, just believe in your marriage. Don't be afraid, just believe in what's left of what was your marriage. 
Don't be afraid, just believe. With your kids, don't be afraid, just believe. Facing your temptations, don't be afraid, just believe. With your history of addiction, don't be afraid, just believe. With your boss... At that job, don't be afraid, just believe. With no job, don't be afraid, just believe. With your wrecked plans of what you thought your life was going to be, Jesus has the audacity to say, don't be afraid, just believe. Are you willing to recognize that we must be desperate for Jesus? You see, here's the deal. We came in and we sat down on these soft pews. But maybe there's one or two here today who are on their knees in front of Jesus. Crying out desperately because desperate faith says, I don't care if everyone sees the real mess that I am. Because I'm not willing to pretend anymore that I don't need help. Desperate faith says, I know that everyone around me can now see that I'm imperfect. That I'm incomplete. But I don't have time to lie anymore to these folks. Desperate faith says, I may look incompetent, I may be incompetent, but I am smart enough to know what I need. You see, Christianity, Thornhill, this is, this is heavy. When I wrote this, I thought, don't. Don't beat people up. But every time I went to go and change the sentence, I couldn't. And so I'm not telling you this to make you feel worse, to make you feel bad, to make you, to beat you up. I'm telling you this because I need you to know the God's honest truth. Christianity is not a pleasant distraction. It is not a nice alternative. Christianity is not even a positive influence. It is a bone deep conviction that we need Jesus like we need oxygen. You see, in Jesus' day, it was desperate people who tried to get to Jesus but struggled because of the great numbers of religious people. Come on now, I got my hand back. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the desperate people trying to get to Jesus, but they're having to fight through the crowds of religious people who surround him and who ignore them and get this, even reject them because of the disruption they cause in their desperateness. You see, desperate is a strong word, Adam. I know, and I like it. Desperate reminds me of Maurice Fuller. You've not heard of Maurice Fuller. You might should have had things worked out the way that they were supposed to. Maurice Fuller was Mr. Basketball in Indiana while I was in high school. 
And Indiana's a basketball state. This was the best high school basketball player there was in the state, Maurice Fuller. He went by the name Kojak. And everyone talked about how good Kojak was. Kojak was under six feet, but Kojak could play. He was the best point guard in the state. But he went to prison instead of college. His family was out of money. His father was gone. He needed to raise money, and all he could do, all he found out he could do to make money was to move drugs. So he made some terrible choices. He dealt narcotics, and he found himself in prison, begging for Jesus to save him, to use him, to change him. And when he was released, he came to worship at our church. And what I loved about Kojak is that Kojak couldn't stand still. And he, he, he was worshiping, but he wouldn't stop waving his arms. Now, I'm, I'm born and raised in the churches of Christ. This is excited. <laughs> this, this right here, Kenny, this is what we, this is excited. All right. This is fired up. And this is I surrender all. This is all of it. Kojak is waving down a, a helicopter for help. I mean, he is, he is just out there. He can't stay still. Arms are waving. And, and he couldn't stop dancing as we sang. And he couldn't stop shouting praise. And he couldn't get this. Song leader would stop singing. Kojak wouldn't. He wanted one more verse. He wasn't done with his praise yet. And so we would all come back in. There had been a mutiny. The song leader was like, let's sing one more for Kojak. And here's why. He wouldn't stop the amens during a sermon. He talked back. He's the one that made me addicted to it. Blame Kojak. <laughs> He wouldn't stop because he was desperate every day for the one who had changed his life and saved him. As a matter of fact, a few years later, Kojak would join me and we would go and teach and mentor every week in a juvenile detention center where we converted more than 50 young people in a year. We cut the recidivism rate in the county by more than 55%. Recidivism is when someone gets out of detention and then returns to it because they get in trouble again. Someone who gets out of jail only to return to jail. Someone who gets out of prison to return to prison. That's recidivism. We cut the recidivism rate by 55%. We had the state of Indiana's, uh, all of, every county called us and said, what are y'all doing? And I let Kojak talk to him. You know what he said? We're teaching him Jesus. And they said, thank you. <laughs> they realized they didn't know what to do with that. Desperate, desperate, desperate. Desperate reminds me of a 16-year-old named Jason who decided at 2 a.m., 
it was time to give his life to Christ in baptism. And everyone there was like, okay, we'll do that whenever you want. And he's like, right now. And we said, well, it's 2 a.m. and it's going to be a little challenging to get to where we can. And he said, I, I don't need Jesus later. I need Jesus right now. Open up whatever we got to get to. I need to get in the water right now. I'm not going to be stopped. You call whoever you need to call. I need it. Now, the 16-year-old needs, need, gets it. I need Jesus right now. He wouldn't wait. Desperate reminds me of a 17-year-old named Hunter. We were at a youth rally at a Christian university, one that some of y'all might find yourself at here in a couple of months, down in Nashville. Lipscomb University, my alma mater. We took a group from the church where I was working in Atlanta to this, this event. And I remember as one of the group leaders, the security team found me and another one of our youth pastors, and, and they said, we need you to come and remove one of your students from the cafeteria. And so we hustle over there, and we go in there, and it's Hunter. Hunter was 17, and he had, here's what I saw when we walk in. He has climbed up onto the table, and he is stomping across the tabletops, and his arms are everywhere. And he's, he's screaming, howling out. And we stood and we, they had cleared out every other student except for just a few in our group who were his friends. And even they were a little worried. But we watched him and we came to the conclusion. And then we went out and we said to them, we're not going to go and remove him. And they said, why in the world not? We need you to do this. And we said, because he's praying. Did you not notice? And they said, who prays stomping around on the tables? And I said, well, Hunter. <laughs> and that kid's been through so much. He's, he's lost a parent to a drug addiction. He is from a home that was absolutely terrible. He doesn't know any better. What he's doing right now, though, if you pay attention, is that he is begging God not to let him down if he gave God his life. We baptized him that night. Desperate. It's a man on his knees begging Jesus for his daughter's life. Desperate is a woman reaching just to try and touch Jesus' coat. Desperate is a man full of demons shrieking, begging Jesus not to kill him. Desperate is a thief on a cross begging for a last-minute pardon.
and desperate as me. Knowing that I'm not enough. On my own. I firmly believe that until we realize we are desperate, we're not really going to get it. Until we sit in the ashes, mourning a life that is hopeless without God, we cannot understand the beauty of a life with God. Can you go ahead and bring your team up? I have to wrap this up. (laughs) When Jesus and Jairus and the folks traveling with him get back to Jairus' house, he's arrived too late. And the girl is dead. However, he tells the people who are there grieving, she's just sleeping. And they laugh. And and here's the deal. The folks that laugh cynically, they miss out on the best part of the story. Where Jesus resurrects this girl. Where Jesus gently takes the girl's hand and says to her, Talitha kum. Literally, Talitha means little girl. Kum means get up. But it's not the kind of get up that means be raised from the dead. It's the kind of get up that means get out of bed. He's saying to her the same thing that parents say to their kids all the time. Honey, it's time to get up. You see, Jesus is facing the most terrifying and implacable enemy of humanity. Death itself. And he's so powerful that he simply holds her hand and lifts her up out of it. That Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, death death itself is nothing but sleep. You see, here's, here's the bottom line. When we go to Jesus... We receive so much more than we're asking for. Amen? Jairus had come to Jesus and he begged for a cure to a sickness. And what he received from Jesus was resurrection. We receive so much more than we're asking for. But but here's the second thing. When we go to Jesus, we're asked to give far more than we expect. Jairus was prepared to have enough faith to try and hurry Jesus home to help his baby girl. But Jesus asked him for a faith to put up with a seemingly inexcusable interruption that cost his girl her life. Don't be afraid, just believe. Do you hear him calling you? To a life that lets faith trounce fear. To a life that stops pretending and embraces the unpretending truth of our desperation. To a life that is completely changed. because we stopped chasing everything else and just decided there's one thing in this world I can trust.
and it's Jesus. I know life's hard. I know it's full of challenges and, and weird turns and false exits and all kinds of brokenness. And right now what it seems like we're going through is hopeless. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, trust the voice that is calling to you and saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. He'll never let you down. If you need Jesus, then I want you to come down here. We'll baptize you into Christ today. If you need Jesus and you've, you, you've been, you know him, but it's been a while and it's gotten complicated, then you come down and we'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. If you want to study more, we'll study with you. But don't miss this chance to answer the call of the one who is telling you, don't be afraid, just believe. Let's stand and sing together. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.